Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, here to break down the Colorado Rockies system today. And to do that, we're joined by Tracy Ringlesby, longtime Rockies beat writer. Tracy, the Rockies are in kind of an interesting position, amazing how much things can change in just a year. When we spoke this time last year, the Rockies were coming off their second straight postseason appearance, first time in franchise history they made back-to-back playoff appearances. They had the most homegrown players of any postseason team, a really, really good homegrown core. Things seemed to be looking up. This past year, the wheels completely fell off. A lot of pitchers took steps back. Injuries really took a toll on the team. They fell to 71-91, and fourth place in the NL West. They were in last place for most of the year. And the offseason has brought some turmoil. Nolan Arenado trade rumors, some discord between him and the front office. It seems like things have really taken a turn for the worse, at least from the outside looking in. How do you kind of assess where the Rockies are and just how this past year has gone and the fall of it, if you will? Well, I think the one thing that they've done is they haven't panicked. Um, And, you know, things haven't gone well. And you can look at them and say that, you know, hey, this is a a team that finished one game out of last place. What are they trying to do? And I I think what they look at it and, and they say, you know, to start with, they had a the whole core of their team, there's there's one guy over 30 that's a, you would call a core member of the team, and that's Charlie Blackman. And that, that includes the pitching, you know, the rotation. And, and what happened last year was they just they got killed with injuries. And in fact, I think John Gray and, and Herman Marquez both took major steps forward, but when you've only got two guys in the rotation that, that you really look to and say that, you know, these are the guys that are going to carry us, um, it, it becomes a problem because you know, this, this is a franchise that uh, they had six pitchers make 13 or more starts two, two years ago, right? They had, you know, four of those guys pitched, had 30 or more starts, you know. They had, uh, they had you know, five guys, basically, who were their rotation in 2017. Last year, they had, uh, had 11 guys start, and, and uh, they had, you know, get hurt. Now, I think Marquez had everything... Uh, had they been in contention, Marquez undoubtedly would have come back and pitched in September. But I think at that point, they didn't see any reason to push him any farther. They, they felt he'd, he'd, he'd come forward quite a bit. You know, Greg suffered a broken ankle, you know, a broken leg. Well, what are you going to do about that? And, and I think the guy that really uh, threw him for a loop and has really become a project this winter has been getting Kyle Freeland back to where he needs to be. Won one to nothing in the opening game of the season, and he uh, he went two and eleven the rest of the way, and spent some time in the minor leagues, spent some time on the injured list. But it, but I, in their mind, when they look at their team and they say, you know, look, Marquez and Gray really grew a lot as far as their aggressiveness and, and their ability to uh, to work through situations. I mean, Gray went from two years ago when he got sent to the minor leagues briefly. If you look at, at his breakdown. He had 19 starts where he allowed uh, three or fewer runs. And in those starts, his ERA, his ERA was like 293. And he had 13 starts where he allowed more than three runs, and his ERA was 987. And there was the, the inconsistency, the inability to shut down an, a big inning that got to him. Last year, he gave up three runs in an inning once. And it was a, it was a big growth to him. Pedro Astacio talked to him in spring training about 
you have to understand the only thing that matters is that you don't give up the next run. Right? Because you can't take runs off the scoreboard. Don't overreact to that. Don't push yourself too hard. So I think they feel that the biggest problem they had last year dealt with, with the rotation, not having the consistency, not uh, not being able to pitch the innings that, that they counted on them from previous years. Now, this is a team that two years ago they had four guys go over 170 innings. That's, uh, that's unheard of nowadays, right? Very, very rare. And one thing, when you look at the Rockies as their roster stands today, it's really still a lot of the same guys that got them to the playoffs in 17-18. You mentioned Marquez, Gray, Sensatella, Freeland, all still there in the rotation. Look at the lineup, Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story. We saw some young guys step up. Ryan McMahon showed some good things last year. David Dahl continued to show good things when he was healthy. Garrett Hampson looked like he turned a corner a little bit at the end of the year. Sam Hilliard came up and gave them a boost. There's still a lot of talent on this team. I think the question just seems to be health, and then what's the real Rockies, the 17-18 version or last year's version? Yeah, I think they'll look at it and say as young as they are still, that that it obviously was 17 and 18 in, in their minds. It's, you know, it's one thing you say, well, we're going to do a major rebuild. Well, when all your key players are under 30, you've got to rebuild in the, in the process, right? It's, it's not like this is a team that got old and needs to worry about what's going to happen. I mean, uh, you've got one more year. You know, you've got a few older players like Desmond, but his contract goes down extensively um, in these next two years. You know, and, and you've got young players coming along that are they're looking at to move into a position like a Hilliard, you know, who was a was a great great find in the draft for them. I mean, he's he's a guy that's a big, strong power hitter that can play center field, very athletic, and uh, and you know was a pitcher through to his junior year in college. A lot like Blackman in that regard. You know, Blackman was a what did he throw eighteen innings as a relief pitcher his junior year at Georgia Tech. And then he went to went to play summer ball and told the manager that he was an outfielder because his arm was hurt and he couldn't pitch it, but he wanted to play winter ball. And so, you know, they they find they've uh, had guys like that over time that come on. I mean, you know, Story was a guy that uh, they got laughed at for taking in the second round. Now he's probably the best shortstop in the National League. So I, I just think from from their mind, you know, their standpoint, if they're gonna if people are gonna start trying to uh, to trade prospects, I mean. Arenado wants to be traded, that's fine, but they want somebody back that's going to make them a better team. They're not they're not looking to say, well, we're just going to start unloading people at this point. And, and I think they have a reason to stay to stay that way. Now, if we get to the All-Star break and they fall apart like they did last year, let's remember, they, they were right in the middle of everything until the All-Star break last year, and then they had a horrible July, and the uh, you know, one of the complaints that you hear is, well, they didn't do anything leading up to the trading deadline. Well, when you're in, number eight in the battle for a wild card spot, how much are you going to give up at the trading deadline, right? You know, it's, you, know you, you, you take a step back and you say, okay, let's, let's we got to get regrouped. And, and, you know, I think out of what happened last year, they, they came up with a guy that, that I think will be asleep this year that people will know because he was a number one draft pick, but Chichi Gonzalez. Um, his last four starts last year, his velocity was back to 95. Uh, his, his breaking ball had a sharp break even at Coors Field. He didn't pitch for two years. All of a sudden, in September last year, after coming back last year and pitching most of the year at the minor league level, all of a sudden you saw him take a big step forward, and I think people know from before he was hurt the, the 
receiver he is and the type of person he is. And, and you, you saw his pitch selection return. So that's why I think from a stand back and be out of the middle of all the things that went on last year as far as just the record of that, there's more of a patience than, uh, than outsiders may think because um, because they are they do have young players. I mean, you know, at some point this year, Brendan Rodgers will be ready. I, I probably bought the first of May. And all of a sudden, now you've got an impact guy that's going to step in. He had a little ups and downs last year before you, you know, he got hurt. But uh, the bottom line is he's always had that at every place he's been. And then that next year when he comes back for a full season, he's been a guy that's made the adjustments and, and made that step forward. And, you know, what they have with all of those guys is versatility. You know, they've, they've got McMahon, who was signed as a third baseman, played first base, now he's playing second base, and played, played a good second base. Got Rogers that can play second, third, or short. You've, you've got Hampson who can play second, short, or center field. Um, you just start suddenly looking at, at uh, maneuverability with what you have, too. So I, I just I think there's a confidence on their part that you know this team is better than people think. Yeah, you look at the young cores we've talked about. Again, as long as Nolan Arenado's there, this is a pretty good team with a lot of talented players. I know there's been some frustration about maybe some guys playing who are older veterans that aren't that effective anymore. Ian Desmond's been at the forefront of that. But you see the pieces in place for this team to be competitive as they were as recently as a year ago. I want to dive into Brendan Rodgers and that farm system. As you mentioned, came up, made his debut as a 22-year-old. I had some ups and downs before going down with a season-ending shoulder injury, had surgery. When you were discussing with evaluators the Rockies farm system this year, Brendan Rodgers, again, he's been the number one prospect in the system for years. Was there any debate with him still being the number one prospect in the system, or was it a slam dunk? No, I, I think it was, it was pretty much uh, a slam dunk. I think most people who look at him feel like he is, he is where they thought he would be at this point particularly had he not had that injury that, that will probably keep him out for the first month of the season. But, you know, everyone who talks about, well, geez, you know, the, the Swanson and Bregman were drafted that same draft. Yeah, they were drafted one, two. He was drafted three. They were both college players. So right now, he's at the age they were their first full season in pro ball. Right? You know what I'm saying? So it's, I think say that he didn't develop as quick as those other two, I don't think that's a fair comparison people make, because he, he played his college baseball in the minor leagues, if that makes sense, and, and uh, you know, he, he's got so many, so much ability to do things, and versatility as far as where he can play, and I think all of those things enter into the factor, also what, what the Rockies look for, I mean, that's, you know, those They'll go to the deathbed with, with McMahon because he's, he's shown that he can even play second base at, at a solid big league level. Yeah, you know, and with Rodgers, again, he was hitting very well at Albuquerque and just, as you mentioned, came up, went through the normal ups and downs young players go through and the injury happened. It'll be interesting to see how he comes back this year and what they end up doing, whether it's he moves to second full-time, McMahon moves to first. They have options with that versatility, and either way, there's still a lot of optimism. This is a very good player with a bright future ahead. Moving down into the system, you mentioned he was the clear-cut number one. Ryan Rollison and Michael Tolia came out numbers two and three, the Rockies' last two first 
first-round picks. Rolison 2018, Tolia 2019. Rolison made it up to high Class A Lancaster in his first year. Really showed some good things. I handled himself well in a hitter-friendly environment. Going over these two with evaluators, again, was it clear-cut? These were numbers two and three in that order. How much debate was it? I think with, with Rolison, it, it was pretty much um, without question because, like you said, he, he he went up to Lancaster. And one of the things that they've liked about him is how he's responded at each place he's been. They don't have a pitcher-friendly ballpark in their organization. And, and that's by design. They're, they're one of the few teams that actually wants a hitter, a hitter-friendly ballpark, because that's what the pitchers are going to face when they get to the big league level. And so, why not make them aware of the things they have to do to be successful in that type of ballpark? And also the fact that you're not going to have a sub two ERA. Okay, don't worry about it. Get the you know Pedro Stasio, get the next hitter out. <laughs> and and I think those things worked worked to his favor with Rollison that that he showed that he could still throw his, his uh, curveball at those ballparks, um, which he can do. As Bert Hooten said, I learned how to throw a curveball in, in Boulder, Colorado in the summer league with Bus Campbell. I don't know why people say you can't throw a curveball at altitude. You just make adjustments. And that's that's what they watch with Rollison. Okay, how are you going to – your three main pitches, fastball, changeup, curveball. How are you going to adjust with that curveball as you go to these different places that aren't pitcher-friendly? And, and they, they saw that come with it. And, you know, the, the other thing to worry about, remember with a curveball, is that uh, you basically have several pitches with a curveball because you, you have the eye action change, but it's also an off-speed pitch, right? It's not, it's not, it's not a slider or a fastball. It's, it's, a lot of times it's not even as hard of a pitch as a changeup. So, you know, if you, if you can stay with it and, have, and not make mistakes with it, it's, it's a very personal pitch, and, and he showed that. I think with Toglia, there was some debate among people um, with he and Levine as to which which way to go. And I just think he's older than Levine. He's played at a different level than Levine played in his developmental stages. There's never been a uh, there's never been a New Hampshire high school position player play in the big leagues um, because they don't have that heavy of a schedule. And I think. With Levine last year, it, it showed just because um, he he did not have the finish to the season that he would have liked to have had, right? But let's, let's face it, he, he went from 20 to 25 games as a high school player, then he went to the short season, and then all of a sudden it's, a, it's five months and 140 games, and there's just a whole little toughness and prospect, um, process that you go through at that point, and, and so... To them, they weren't worried that the numbers weren't quite what they wanted, but I think it, it just showed that Tommy is on a faster pace to make the move to Levine, and I don't think that speaks poorly of, of what they feel about him. Yeah, Tolia did some good things at UCLA. Really got hot the end of last year. You know, you're looking at a potential switch hitter with power, can play first, can play the corner outfield. Uh, a lot of things to like there. You hit on Grant Levine, and he and Colton Welker at number four and five were interesting simply because these were two very young kids 
who had shown some promising things in 2018. 2019 moved up to levels where they were still very young and struggled. Levine struggled at low Class A. Asheville, as discussed, kind of the adjustment going from New Hampshire high school baseball to a full season of professional baseball was a huge one, and he had some struggles there. Colton Walker made the jump up to double-A Hartford, struggled with some injuries a little bit, but also uh, did not have the type of season he was hoping for, and that continued into the Arizona Fall League a little bit. What were evaluators saying about these two players, specifically outside the organization and kind of where they stand now? Well, I, I think with, with Levine in particular, they saw a strong, he had a pretty strong first half, and then he just seemed to, to wear down a little bit in the grind and, and, and life in, in uh, low-level A-ball, and, you know, it's, it's uh, a process that the physical tools they still saw with him, so they, they maintain they maintain confidence that he, he has a chance to be that, that first guy out of, out of New Hampshire to, to make it. And um, they didn't really slow down on him. You know, the one thing that they really like about him, too, is for a guy that's a power type guy and gets into maybe you, you think, okay, a young guy, he's going to get frustrated because he's not doing well. He still had very good pay, plate patience. Having a hard time spitting out words right now. Um, but he had the patience. He drew, he drew walks, uh, got on base, and... And uh, actually, they felt like, well, maybe he just needs to be a little more aggressive. But what he what he really can do is he can drive the ball to left field. Doesn't feel like he has to pull everything. And you know, when you're talking about bringing a guy to Coors Field, you like to see that power to all the fields because it's it's a hitter's ballpark. So why not be able to take advantage? And if you have that ability to drive the ball to left field as a power guy, you're probably going to make more contact than a lot of the big time power hitters. I think with Welker, you know, he started off great last year and then uh, had this, the shoulder subluxation. And so he's out for over a month and came back, struggled. And I, I think you have two things there. One, just getting everything back with your movement of your body when you have that type of injury. And two, um, you know, you, you want to make up. You want to suddenly, you want to do a month's worth of work every week as opposed to just like, okay, I just got to get back in and relax. Um, I'm, I'm still considered a good prospect here. I don't have to go out and uh, I don't have to hit 1,500 because you can't hit 1,500, right? A, a thousand is the best you can hit anyhow. So it, it was, a, I think, a learning experience for him. Uh, he's got the hand-eye coordination. He's a, he's a very good defensive player. Uh, I think that they, uh, they look at him as a guy, that, again, that's going to have multiple positions he can play in. And that's what the things Billy Schmidt's scouting department uh, really looks for. Us. You know, let, let's not get ourselves uh, locked into where this guy has to be a third baseman, this guy has to be a shortstop. Because as you've seen with McMahon, he played a lot of first base two years ago. And he, this last year, he played a lot of second base. And he was a third baseman out of high school. Yeah, Welker is interesting. You mentioned you go back and you look. His first two months were actually pretty strong at Double A. 308, 358, 510 slash line, 19 double seven home runs. You saw the power starting to come as well as the natural feel to hit. Then the shoulder injury really kind of took a toll on him. He ended up going on the disabled list in July, missed a month. And with him, it's interesting because people have seen the talent. With what he showed that first half of the season, is there a sense this could be an above average everyday corner infielder just because people have had some questions on the power and if it'll profile, but was that first half enough for people to become convinced on it? 
I think from the Rockies' standpoint, it, it reinforced their feelings about him, that, that the abilities there, uh, that, that he, he took that, that next step up in the organization that, you know, in, uh, at AA and, and handled himself, and they didn't get, they didn't get hung up on the fact that uh, it took him a little while to make some adjustments when he came back, and I think a lot of that was he was having a good year when he when he went down, and all of a sudden he doesn't he wants to like have a better year when he comes back and, and pushes himself a little bit too much, and you know it's it's not the try hard leg, and and so I think they felt like in some ways that it actually it was a benefit to see him have to battle somewhat at the end of the season because what you hope you you can learn more from struggles than you can from success because when you struggle you have to start reevaluate your approach and, and what you're doing and I think you know if everything goes too easy at times then you see it can get to that that next level and it's not as easy there and they start to panic so but I think I think from the standpoint of, of his overall development um they're very happy. They're, they're happy with where he is, and they don't see the second half of last year or the last couple of months as a setback as much as a growing experience. Sam Hillier checked in at number six. Again, great year at AAA Albuquerque, great major league debut. He's firmly a part of the Rockies' plans moving forward. Some familiar names on here, Ryan Castellani, Ryan Vallade. Number nine was Aaron Schunk, and this was interesting. He was a second-round pick this last year out of Georgia had a really, really strong debut and really made an impression on some people. What was it about Shunk that you were hearing that made you feel comfortable running him up into the top 10 of this system right off the bat? Well, I think you look at a young player that uh, that wasn't on a very good team, right? Boise, Boise struggled a lot, but he didn't seem to get distracted by that. He, he went ahead, he was able to put his type of a season together. Um, he's one of those guys that has a personality that kind of draws the other players to him as far as you know, the intangible aspect of it. Um, you know, they, they were very, very comfortable with uh, with what they saw from him defensively, his reactions uh, to the, you know, to things that happened in the field. And the fact that he, uh, he hits, again, he hits the ball the other way hard. I mean, it doesn't bloop the ball the other way, but he, he can drive that ball to right field. And, uh, you know, th- those are things they look for. And he um, he stayed even on a team that wasn't playing well, and sometimes you'll see a guy at that point think that they're, they're going to have to carry everything. He stayed very much within himself and, and uh, strike zone awareness. He he had a good feel for what was a strike and what wasn't a strike, and so um, they just uh, they felt like to to go to the higher short season level. I guess they call it short season A, right, as opposed to rookie ball. And, and to perform that way right out of right out of the out of the gate um, on a team that struggled and, and not feel like he suddenly had to do more than he was capable of doing he could still stay and play the way he, he was capable of playing I think that uh, that got them uh, very comfortable with, with what they saw from him and he was one guy that when you when you looked at reports from or talked to people from other organizations that he was usually the first guy that got mentioned about the team. And, and with some of them, he was really the only guy they, they paid much attention to as far as position players were concerned. 
the Rockies have a really, really good track record of successfully developing infielders. We've seen that in the major leagues. And you look at their top 10 right now, seven of their top 10 prospects are infielders. We'll see how that continues to develop moving forward as they continue to look to add pitching, add some outfielders to the system. How do you kind of assess this top 10 in this system as a whole? Because you have that top tier prospect in Rodgers. Guys like Rolson and Tolia were first round picks who have had some success. It's not the biggest eye-popping group, but you look 1 through 10, it's all guys with some draft pedigree who have, for the most part, performed so far in their minor league careers. Just what's your overall take on the quality of this system and where it stands today? Well, I think I think it, if you look at it two years ago, you would say it was one of the top five or six organizations in the game, right? Oh, absolutely. They were top 10 yeah. system for four well, or five years, and then they graduated those guys to the big leagues, which is exactly the point of this. They've had a great, yeah. great player development pipeline going for well, a few years now. So, so I think they still have that young, they have those young players at the big league level, as we talked about earlier. Um, is this as deep and strong? No, but you know they've harvested a lot out of that system right now, and you know I, I think there's a confidence on their part they can they can rebuild it because they do look from within to, to make the moves that they make. But um, it's, it's, it's at that zone of, okay, we, we've got to do some things, we've got to get some things going back in order, but we're okay because we're young at the, we're young at the big league level too. Um, you know, it, you, you'll look this year, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure like a Hilliard is going to get every opportunity, you know, and, and uh, at some point Rogers will be there when he, when he gets healthy. And, start looking looking around at the different situations you know that's where the versatility becomes such a key ingredient for what they're going to do Tracy thank you so much for joining us we'll be interested to see what the Rockies are able to do in 2020 if they can get back to that postseason level and see if these young guys can come up and continue making a difference as they have for them we appreciate your insight as always No, no problem it's always enjoyable All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Tracy Ringlesby, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.